Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hi, my name's Morgan from Helena, Montana, and I support this smart and funny show and get exclusive podcasts at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, TV. And this week, the 2016 disappearance of the senior class president divided a small Texas town. And when he turned up dead two years later, it only added to the mystery. We'll talk about the new podcast from Texas Monthly Magazine, Tom Brown's Body. And Netflix is back with its international police anthology, Criminal. We'll look at season two of the UK installment. Joining me to get that done is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist and long-haired soldier, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. How are you doing this evening? I'm great. I'm great. (laughs) Don't I look good? No. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and the one most likely to get enraged by injustice, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Rebecca. You look good, by the way. I can't see you, but it's an assumption that I'm comfortable making. <laughs> well, I gave you all a little surprise that you'll see when you see the video. Oh, so. can't wait. Can't is wait. Is it your wardrobe? It wasn't that I flashed the camera. I'll tell you that. She has like a little Cameron <laughs> Diaz uh, hair thing going on. In the front. <laughs> and finally, the the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and the host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, our favorite naysayer, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Can we talk about that needle scratch we just heard? In what the needle scratch did we just hear? So uh, I guess it's official. We're moving on with a new theme song. That's right. It's pretty sassy. I really like it. It is. It is. I'm sure a lot of people are sad and mourning the loss. They're fine. Of uh, Harlem Nocturne by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble. They're fine. They don't care. It's fine. People love that. They can find it on Spotify. (laughs) That's true. They can still listen to it. That's right. They can stream it. Rocksteady Freddy. You can get that penny. (laughs) Rocksteady Freddy. (laughs) Are we going to make our new theme song available for download if listeners want to add it to their playlist? Oh, I don't know how to do that. As a ringtone or something? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. I think that's something we could do. Maybe with my, uh, my lyrics? Yeah, your lyrics. (laughs) <laughs> yes, true. Last week on our they Patreon show. They could just do show. an acapella version. Yes. Yeah. Someone, someone, Kevin said, who listened to your um, terrible made up lyrics to our theme song, <laughs> that it was like that uh, Star Wars Bill Murray skit. 
Star Wars, War. nothing but Star Wars. <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite. Skits. It is. Yeah, all I used to sing it to the kids all the time. <laughs> to be like, Shut up. Uh, so, Kevin, with that being said, should we move on and do our first review? It, it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't do that. All right, let's get it done. 18- Why do you ask my permission? Well, you know. Um, <laughs> it's not the 18th were watching, century. Were, were you not paying attention to our Supreme Court hearing at all, Kevin? <laughs> I was, I was going to make 10 paces behind it, it Kevin. what has to happen. Of Kevin? <laughs> right. I would make such a great commander. <laughs> Why do you think you'd be oh. a commander? There's no planet on which you would be a commander. Because I, I, I like the uniform. Our house isn't big enough. I don't look good in teal. There's no way you'd be a commander. No way. Okay. We are moving on to our first. You would be reveal. the shittiest handmaid ever. <laughs> they, they, you'd lose a finger. They poke out your eye. You'd have no tongue. They do all of it. They would. I would oh deserve God, it. I would, it. I would be insubordinate, like you wouldn't believe. Okay. Now we are doing our first review. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Okay. Let's get it done, <laughs> shall we? And I, it quickly became obvious to me that a lot of people weren't telling the truth. That their stories changed. That their stories became very self-serving. That they were trying to divert attention to other people or cast suspicion on other people. 18-year-old high school senior Tom Brown missed curfew the night before Thanksgiving. His truck was discovered the next day, a bullet casing in the cab, but the Texas teenager was nowhere to be found. And when his body turned up two years later, it posed more questions than it answered. Tom's disappearance and death has now been investigated by four law enforcement agencies. They've given lie detector tests to Canadians' own sheriff, to a globe-trotting private investigator hired to work on the case, even to members of Tom's own family. Nearly everyone involved in the case has fallen under suspicion. In the Texas Monthly podcast, Tom Brown's Body, award-winning journalist Skip Hollinsworth explores this unsolved case featuring a defensive sheriff, an offensive private eye, and a panhandle town pointing fingers in every direction. Conspiracy thinking is rampant. Uh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that killed him. I put him in a wood chipper. They kept telling me that I had talked to Thomas. I had found him that night. I moved his body. Why were we lied to? I, I, I've never seen anything like this in law enforcement before. Never, ever. Now, one note, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first few episodes of Tom Brown's Body. So if you want to remain spoiler free, you can go to the time code listed in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review of Tom Brown's Body. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about the style of this podcast. It's from the Texas Monthly, uh, a magazine that I know at least some of us have read, and a journalist that I know some of us are familiar with. Toby Ball, what did you think when you heard that Skip Hollinsworth was going to be making a podcast, and a true crime podcast at that? I was very excited uh, because I've read a bunch of his articles in Texas Monthly, and he's one of the best that that's doing it. So it seemed like I can't miss. Hmm. I can't miss, says yeah, Toby Ball. Yeah, but it is very, very straight narrative true crime. I mean, it's not more, let's say, literary or journalistic, I think, than a lot of things we've listened to. Laura, what do you think of the delivery of this podcast as a print journalist making a podcast? Yeah, you know, I think he is like the Texas version of Bill Rankin in his <laughs> delivery. Hi, I'm Skip Hollinsworth. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, 
that to be clear is high praise. <laughs> yes, it is. It is high no, praise. It, it is high praise. It is high praise. So we have somebody who is very experienced, uh, you know, has been doing this over 30 years, writing these investigative stories, has sources all over the place, but he comes across very straight. It's not flashy. It's told in this kind of traditional true crime format. We're following along as he is going out to start the reporting, as he's going around talking to people. And it's a very thorough, very competent, very in-depth type style of reporting, but it's also not got all the bells and whistles of like something like a Wondery podcast or some of the other podcasts, but this has much better journalism than a lot of things that we have reviewed and listened to. You know, in a lot of podcasts, the host tries to not just insert themselves in the story, but establish like why they're there and make themselves part of this narrative. And uh, Skip did it in a way that was more natural than anybody else has. And now we're at the historical marker. Why is it historical? This was supposedly the first rodeo. In Texas? ever rodeo. Oh, here we go. But this is, you know... Pecos says it has the first rodeo. Yeah, there are... I didn't realize the Canadian is trying to make the same claim. Trying to? We wouldn't think of it as trying to. What do you mean? Because he actually didn't do that. Yeah. He just got in and started reporting, and we hear a lot of his interactions with folks, and he just comes across as being, you know, smart and kind and amusing, but you get a sense of him without him having to say, you know, uh, and I think he probably I'm does. Troy McClure. Yeah, you know, he probably, I've been, you know, he didn't say, well, this is a, the case that kept me up at night, and, you know, one of, the, one of those things, which, you know, sometimes work and sometimes come off as performative. But, you know, just it was like, you know, here's my story. He didn't do that. But you hear him interact with people like the um, the newspaper editor. Yes. What did you think about that? Because I have to tell you the one thing I mean, this is not faulting him. He brought her into the podcast and had her sort of set him up. And it sounds like they were in touch before. But there is something about a journalist flying in and doing a local story like this that can go very wrong. Right. We've heard that on other podcasts when, you know, like a big podcast host. Yeah. All of a sudden takes a bunch of things that like local papers have been reporting forever and like turns it into a podcast. Yeah, but not just a dateline and, uh, you know, 48 hours. And there's a lot of journalists who think the most interesting thing about a case is that they're covering it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he acknowledged that. And it it seems like, though, the people in this town also in, in Canadian Texas... It's a funny name. It is. See, you know, all those, all those Texas Canadians. <laughs> nice Canadian horsey. Texans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they're, they're used to it at this point on this case because it's unsolved and a lot of people have been, you know, nosing around. Uh, one more production question. Did you get the sense, as I did, that some of the recordings we're hearing in this podcast weren't necessarily meant for a podcast, but for notes for a print story? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't, I, I don't know if they were. They certainly weren't recorded. Some of them sound with like they were recorded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, it doesn't sound like it was recorded with a lot of professional audio equipment. Probably, you know, some voice memos on iPhones and and other things like that that we're not thinking about broadcast or podcast. And so I think that you know, if there's one technical issue I have with it, is the sound doesn't always sound great. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, do you remember how when we used to tape things when we first were writing books together, we yeah. had one of those like little mini Sony tape recorders oh, with the yeah. tiny little tapes? Yeah. Yeah. No. And then I got the one that was digital, and it's like, oh, I could download this file and yes, have it forever. But you can't tell when it's running because you don't see the tape going like oh, ring, yeah. ring, ring. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the little clock running. <laughs> Hold on, let me turn over this tiny little tape. 
Well, I just want to summarize the story real quick to orient everybody before we talk about the case and some of the characters. In November of 2016, Tom doesn't come home. His family calls the sheriff. Uh, There's a slow response, but the sheriff and also some of the family members drive around town looking for him. They, They don't find him or his truck. But the next morning, the truck is discovered from a helicopter search, but there's no body in the truck. It's parked outside of town at a water treatment plant. The sheriff and the family argue about whether or not the truck is a crime scene and should just be returned to the family as the sheriff wants to do or should be processed. Um, The family hires a private eye. Um, Later, Tom's backpack is found. And the question is, did he leave town on his own? Did he die by suicide? Or is there some other explanation? Perhaps he was Was in a relationship or perhaps he was sort of part of some underground scene or perhaps he came to. Uh, his end via foul play and was kidnapped and or murdered. So that's kind of where we are in the podcast. And we do have some extremely interesting characters. I should clarify, we say the word characters a lot. We know we're talking about real people, but we're basically talking about central figures in the story. Laura Bricker. All I could think about when I was listening to this podcast, especially around this sheriff, Sheriff Lewis, was, thank goodness, Laura Bricker has a new person to hate that isn't Doug Evans from In the Dark. <laughs> what did you think of Sheriff Lewis? He was very brash. He sort of introduces himself to Skip, talking about wanting to get into law enforcement because he loved, quote, kicking down doors. Uh, and then yeah. he has just a very particular sort of way of being that I imagined rubbed you the wrong way. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. It was definitely this sort of entitled law enforcement personality that comes across as not very helpful, uh, not very sympathetic, and... Definitely the type of person that if he was in my area, I would find a way to uh, poke him a little bit and antagonize him because he kind of irritated me. (laughs) Did you buy um, his version of an earlier traffic stop with Tom Brown and his friends where they were hanging around town? Or did you buy Tom's mother's version, which would basically characterize Sheriff Lewis as being the kind of law enforcement officer that like hassled kids and enjoyed that power and and lies yes and and, and it wasn't in his jurisdiction at the time he was working for a different county Hmm. and was passing through and said i'm gonna go investigate and didn't (laughs) tell the local sheriff about it yeah it's like boss hog um god this guy yeah he that was that really um was just out of line and i think what struck me about that is that everybody's description that knew tom talks about Tom being such a good kid. If Tom's late for his curfew, he calls. He's he's got a reason. He's right there. He's like very trustworthy. So that version of Tom did not gel with this version of what happened when, you know, Boss Hogg went out and decided to do his own little investigation there. Yeah. And Sheriff Lewis later says that when he ran into Tom later, Tom apologized to him. He said, man, I fibbed to my mother because he, he told his mother that, that I was rude. I cussed at him pulled a gun. He said all kinds of stuff to his mom. And he said, man, I'm sorry for doing all that stuff. So Tom, it's it's the past, the past, man. Don't worry about it. Kevin, what are your thoughts on Sheriff Lewis? Well, I I was just going to say, that's like the one thing. I believe Tom is a very polite young man, but, uh, I don't believe the sheriff's version that he came over and, I lied to my mom, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was really bothering me this whole time. I had to get it off my chest. <laughs> so your thoughts on Sheriff Lewis generally? He's, he's, uh, okay. You say in your notes, I think Sheriff Lewis is a dick. 
Is that, do you stand by that? <laughs> do I stand by that? Uh, That's a tough call for Wayne on, yeah. on the deck. Yeah. It's, it's right on the margins. Wayne's like, oh man, I'm glad I waited to this final episode for everybody to start using the word dick. Uh, yeah, he just, he doesn't come off very sympathetic and certainly... Well, the PI, and we'll get to him, has his own sort of credibility issues and likability issues. You know, it's very obvious. I mean, Skip kind of lays it out without having to lay it on thick that there was not a lot correct done about the early part of this investigation. Hmm. So, uh, Sheriff Lewis, we are introduced to a second character, the private detective, uh, Mr. Klein. Toby, what do you think of these two characters, sort of the central investigators that we're introduced to in this story? Well, I, you know, I kind of agree with, with Kevin's assessment in that you know, I don't think either one of them are guys I'd particularly like to hang out with. Mm. The detective, Klein, like you get a sense of his kind of charisma, uh, I guess, or or just the way he relates to people, because they do have a fair amount of audio of him, you know, interacting with people, asking them questions or whatever. And you can see that he he's engaging in kind of a way that I think I would find kind of off-putting, but yeah. apparently does, yeah. does put people... <laughs> get people to talk to him. I, I, I mean, it seems like he's successful. Well, he says he is. He never stops saying oh, it. Oh, I hate that guy. <laughs> well, what was interesting, though, is that they, you know, people were like, oh, yeah, he came in and it was like this, that, the other thing. I did this, I did that. And then the one time you do hear him kind of bragging about stuff, it's pretty low key. It's like, oh, yeah, Malaysia, that was me. You know, this is me. Olivia Newton-John's husband. Yeah. But, Toby, didn't you also find the stuff where he's talking to kids like, yeah, you welcome to my world. I'm on the dark side all the time. Welcome to my world. I do this for a living. You won't meet guys like me very often, or I pray you don't. We live in a very dark world. Worse than than you'd ever dream. We've seen it all. And then the phone rings. And we see one more. I was just like, man, shut the fuck We're up. All guys here. Yeah. yeah. But that's like, but he's talking to like 16, 17 year old football players. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're probably just like, this guy's a real life detective, you know? But he's I, also just wrong. I mean, he's wrong about basic things. He's like, back page. That's the real dark web. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's literally, I mean, it's a, it's a place you can go get like a like a sexy massage or whatever, but it's not like the Silk Road where you're buying heroin. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was for like prostitution, right? I mean, yeah, that was a whole... Yeah, but it's well known. It's not Lost like... Lost Girls was about. Yes, but he makes it sound like no one's ever heard of it. And it's like... Right. And it's like some mysterious world that, you know, only he has access to. I'm like, it's literally a website anybody could go to. It's like 4chan, Philip. but it's 8chan. <laughs> Well, that that was kind of the weird thing I thought, and I don't I don't, I don't know if we're, if I'm jumping ahead, so you can Jump stop ahead, me. But do it. The diaper thing. Yes. Um, the diaper thing. Sage brought up one thing that just hit me. Uh, I, I couldn't believe what she, what what she was saying was that Tom was struggling with wearing diapers. Um, he was wearing men's diapers um, even up to the day he disappeared. So to kind of summarize it i mean it seems like he did he had like this weird diaper fetish tom did. and it did yes tom did and it didn't seem like it was something he was doing a whole lot and some people didn't know about it and some people did and apparently he may have felt a little bit guilty about it 
But it seems like both Sheriff Lewis and uh, P.I. Klein kind of latch on to that. And the conclusions they draw from it are bizarre. Like what? Well, Klein is Klein starts talking about Backpage.com. Like, he thinks, like, that's the key. Lewis decides that Tom's probably gay. What do you come up with that? Because yep. he, he's got a diaper fetish. It's just, it's... It's bizarre. And then they both, you know, they both seem to think like this is the key, uh, at least to a certain extent. And again, if it was a detective novel and you're like, well, you know, his quirk must be the key to the thing. But quite honestly, that seems like because a guy has a diaper fetish does not seem like the kind of thing that's going to have him disappear. Right. I just I, I just have a hard time having that follow. Like you should look into it. But the idea that that's your key like piece of insight into him seems way, way off and sort of the product of like, I guess, just super conservative thinking. Mm. I don't know. But it begets the question if if we agree that maybe the the diaper kink I might call it a fetish. It just sounds it like was a, a kink. it was a habit. If the diaper thing is not terribly salient to the investigation, then should it be salient to this story? Yes, I think because so. I'm a little. I mean, I see it both ways. Right. I mean, are we talking about? I think it's legitimate because it, it because it was legitimate to the investigation. It, it led them down the wrong path. It yeah. led them down the wrong path. But if it's, if your theory is that he was ashamed of himself and he, that's why he committed suicide, if it was suicide. Then that's one thing. If you're saying, well, it was more than just something he liked to do. He wanted to explore something more dangerous, and he put himself in an at-risk situation, and he's murdered. That, too, it, it both of them seem like they're a little out there, hmm. given the circumstances. But I think, I think that Skip does an okay job with this subject matter. But, you know, it's like, oh, man, I'm just, I don't know if I would want to be a dead person and everybody knows about my pee-pee fetish. But he told people. I mean, he did tell friends. Nobody didn't tell a podcast, man. I I don't know about you guys. I looked up the diaper, adult diaper thing. Uh, You did? Yeah, I did. Because I actually just recently read a book where that was a minor plot. Hold on, tell me. What what was the website? Astronaut. Case. Well, that was a little different. I think she just didn't want to pee driving across the country before she stalked <laughs> those people. But yeah, it's actually a, um, it can be a sexual fetish where somebody is uh, turned on by the idea of being taken care of like a baby. Yeah. It can also be a physical comforting thing that has a lot to do with just like um, similar to the way that some people who have sensory issues like to wear clothing that is very soft or very tight or very loose. Like It can be a sensory thing. It's not super aberrant. It's not like super common. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's point bad. To, it, I think it's okay. Yeah, it certainly doesn't point to anything nutty. No. But the point of including it... doesn't make it, him a deviant if people right. want to put that label right. on him. That, that's wrong. The point of including it is to show that the investigators over-focused on yeah. it. Right, Toby? Right. Well, I just I was going to say, it's, yeah, it doesn't make him deviant, but I don't think the detectives realize that. Yeah. Right. Can we just say shout out to the two young women in the podcast who talk about knowing about the diaper thing and just don't seem to care that much about it. The one girl who's like, you do you, man. He just told me repeatedly that it's he just really liked it um, and it gave him pleasure. Did it scare you? Um, it had me a little concerned, but a lot of these things are kind of natural um, and people can't help them. Um, and I mean, if he was kind of handling it in a healthy way, then it, it didn't really bother me. It really speaks to, even in the panhandle of Texas, that young people are just a million times smarter than old people when it comes to acceptance 
and inclusivity. I don't know. That really struck me. Laura, did that strike you too? Yeah, because I think we are hearing, you know, these sort of, you know, the adults in this story are going with sort of the stereotypes of, well, he broke up with his girlfriend and he quit the football team. Well, he must be gay and he must be suicidal. And then you have the young people who are clearly like, no, you know, he was just like ready to do something different. And, you know, they broke up, but they were still friends. And, you know, he sent her this very nice note and everything. And they, you know, so I think the young people were a lot more accepting and a lot more just sort of rolling with who people were and not getting caught up in these sort of stereotypes that, you know, when you hear the adults that are investigating this going down that road, you know, it's it's not taking them toward actually solving this case. Hmm. Laura, I'm curious as to your opinion when we hear that Penny in her interview with police, this is right after Tom has gone missing. I believe it's the next day at the police station. She's there. She's interviewed second. His uh, dad is interviewed first and then she's interviewed second. And she you know, tells the police that one of the things that's occurred to her is that perhaps he died by suicide. It runs in her family and she knows that a lot of teenagers can commit self-harm or die by suicide. And then she talks about the detail of having checked to see if there were any missing guns in their house and there weren't. And then she says, I figured if it happened, it may have been a result of the choking game. So she kind of gives a bunch of details about how in her mind she imagined it could have potentially happened. What did you make of that? Well, you know, I think when something like that happens and you're a parent, you're probably grasping at straws trying to figure out what could have happened. I mean, there's this, you know, panic feeling, this fear, you know, what's going on. And You know, I was thinking about, you know, cases I'd covered as a journalist where, you know, it wasn't the choking game necessarily. It was back when the the thing to do was, you know, fill the plastic bag with all the nitrous oxide from the... you know, whipped cream containers or whatever, and then go in, put that over your head while you were having some fun with yourself. (laughs) Self-pleasuring. So, but in one case that I covered, this this young man, he was home from college, he went in like the closet behind, like, you know, you know how you all have that closet with the crawl space, and he actually accidentally killed himself doing that. So that's what I was thinking of when she was saying that, as I was thinking, no, that is something that, you know, you might be surprised. And in the case that I covered, it wasn't, it was a kid that was like, you know, somebody that was like an up Eagle Scout or something, somebody that you're like, wow, this is not how I anticipated this person going. So when she was talking about that, I was thinking, well, that does seem pretty out there, but it doesn't explain know. the truck and the bullet and the no body being around. Right. No, right. no. What, what, one thing that that story brings up, which I, w- I was thinking about when you were talking about uh, Sheriff Lewis and, and, and the kids in front of the uh, the theater and how everybody said, you know, what a, what a good kid Tom was. And that could be true, but you can also, but, but, you know, even good teenage kids, like, you know, quote unquote, good teenage kids get up to doing some pretty weird stuff, you know, and it doesn't make them not good. That just makes them teenagers. So it was interesting because in some ways, I don't know, this whole diaper thing, like one of the things I found that it it did, the sense you get from listening to it is here was this like really, really good kid who had this diaper thing. And that's basically what you know, quit, he was into drama, quit the football team, had a girlfriend. But that's sort of your sense of him. And everybody's like, oh, he never drank, he never smoked, he never did this or or that. Never missed curfew. When you think it's probably, again, and we've talked about this before, where I think it's hard with victims to really give a well-rounded sense of thing. Because, you know, nobody's going to be, especially like teenagers who've known him all his life, 
or it could be like, yeah, that dude rages on weekends. Mm. You know, this like is Toby not, does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I believe the curfew thing because they looked for him immediately. Like they knew immediately something was wrong. And, you know, being a parent to a kid who's like that, who's just like really good, like and does everything he's supposed to do. Like I would immediately look. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of believed that stuff around Tom in a way that maybe I would be less inclined to when I hear descriptions of other victims. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I again, I think you can be home on curfew and be out drinking and just make sure you're home on time or, or, or doing whatever it is you're doing. And again, I, it's not being judgmental. That's just, I've, I've got teenagers as kids. I know <laughs> this is kind of the way it goes. So I do want to talk about another detail of the the case, because I was very relieved when we hear it was fascinating, by the way, to have all of the sightings of Tom's truck, because we have a very, very clear TikTok. Yes, a very clear TikTok of uh, the folks that were out looking for him. His his friend, his friend Christian was out looking for him. His mom is out looking for him. His brother was out looking for him. The sheriff was out looking for him. And they talk about driving around to all the places he likes to go. Tom's Loop, all the places they hang out, the abandoned motel or hotel was it that his um, friend went to and it seems like his truck was seen on video throughout the town kind of during this period of time in such a way that it's surprising they didn't cite him on the road or cite the truck on the road but the interesting detail is one of the final sightings before they see the truck driving into the water treatment plant is that it was driving toward his house and then a few minutes later away from his house and I was so relieved to hear Skip say Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe he wasn't driving the truck. Kevin, what did you think about that? Because all I could think about when I heard about a shell casing in the truck was that perhaps a gun had been fired from inside the truck to outside the truck. And it would make a whole lot more sense if somebody other than Tom was driving the truck. Yeah. Now, are you ready to hear some stuff that we're going to hear later on that yes. we know it's in the it's public record? It's a real record? case, so I don't mind you spoiling right. it. Right. Laura, are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. I can't wait, Kevin. Grab your panties because- It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll find out later that when Tom's body is discovered, it was discovered by a uh, sheriff's deputy. It found deep in the woods. The deputy says he was out that deep in the woods looking for deer antlers. While on duty. This was the same deputy that responded, was on duty the night Tom disappeared, and took his brother or family member out to look for him. His brother, yeah. And declined to take, and the brother pointed to a, a dirt road where there was a gate that's usually locked and was open, and said we should go down there, and the, and the deputy said declined to do that and it was down that road that led to where the car was hmm. that the truck was hmm. that that deputy was later fired for uh some sort of misconduct looking or being for a, antlers while on duty yeah so the body has been recovered and according to the stuff i found uh, the manner of death and cause of death have never been released his body was found two years later yeah And when the uh, detective guy went into the truck, they sprayed luminol and said that it lit up. Hmm. So I want to see what Skip has to say about all that. But Laura, I'm afraid that you're just going to lose your goddamn mind. Yeah. I'm going to lose my mind. Laura, you should stop listening to this podcast immediately. (laughs) No, no. I need to get, well, I don't want to have a stroke, but I need to get my rage walking going again. So this is like just the thing to do this. You're going to burn so many fucking calories. (laughs) I'm going to need some new rage sneakers. Like my sneakers are going to burst into flames. (laughs) So let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know and our viewers know, should they check out 
Tom Brown's Body, the new true crime podcast from Texas Monthly. Laura Bricker, what do you think about Tom Brown's Body? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, This is a thumbs up. I think that, you know, I was super eager to listen to this just because of the reputation of Skip, the journalist, and his work for Texas Monthly Magazine. And knowing that you have somebody with that depth of experience and level of sources and just somebody that has been covering these type of stories for so long in this region, I feel like we are going to have a satisfying conclusion in terms of the information that we're getting. And I think he's, you know, he's setting it up. It's not flashy, but it's it's setting up a story that I want to hear what happens next. And, you know, I, I am always drawn to these small town sort of stories. And you really get the sense of that small town when he's out with the newspaper publisher who knows everybody everywhere. It, it, it could be any town if you live in a small town when you hear the setup. So I am eager for the next episode. Uh, big thumbs up. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Tom Brown's body? Yeah, I, I agree with almost everything Laura said. Uh, I'm a big thumbs up. Uh, I was super psyched. To listen to this, uh, again, having read Skip Hollinsworth's, you know, a lot of his articles in Texas Monthly, uh, I think it's fun to kind of listen to him go about doing his business. Uh, the story's interesting. It's got some good larger-than-life Texas personalities. I think they do a good job of, of setting the scene and giving you a sense of the community in which this takes place. And it's also, you know, I, I we didn't really talk about this. I, I guess we, we touched on it a little bit. But, you know, I I mean, the kids come through as being like remarkably mature Mm. and compassionate, you know, and and that's that's not always, I guess we just don't, we don't hear a lot from teenagers Mm. in the stuff that we review. And this just seemed, you know, I don't know, it it seemed, it seemed to deal in in their conversations in a very sort of realistic and uh, kind of responsible way. So long way of saying I I really enjoyed it. Thumbs up. Uh, Looking forward to continuing to listen. I agree. Teenagers are the best people. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Tom Brown's body? I'm going to go thumbs up. I think that uh, Skip Hollinsworth is the the podcaster we deserve right now. (laughs) Look, I mean, he brings a lot of gravitas to this and a very comfortable demeanor. Uh, He really slipped right into this this role. It feels more like we're following along on the gathering for a magazine article and not a podcast, which is what we often get, right? I think the story in and of itself is interesting enough. It's a you know, a good pick doesn't need a lot of embellishment. I would say on the editing side, I already said, you know, that the some of the audio is difficult to hear at times because it doesn't sound like it was gathered with, you know, professional audio equipment, which it really should have been. Uh, and also there's a lot of it. And I think they probably could have edited some of the stuff to keep, you know, like when we hear uh, the private detective, Mr. Klein, talk to everybody. I don't know if we had to hear him talk to everybody so i think in that way could have been tighter but those are nits to pick i think this is um it's great and it's about time that texas monthly got into the true crime podcast game because they're built for this yeah no i think i agree with everything you said so i have nothing else to say except that in addition to him being the bill rankin perhaps of texas he also reminds me a little bit of one of my favorite texas reporters wade goodwin correspondent for npr who has a singular story 
storytelling style that I also really, really love. So, yeah, I'm a fan of Tom Brown's body. Um, could it have been tighter? Sure. Could it have been more professionally recorded and, you know, mixed a little bit more like a podcast rather than like a magazine article sort of narratively? Yes. But it's a great story. It's a banana story. And I can't wait to hear the next chapter. I will keep listening. Big thumbs up for me for Tom Brown's body. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Kevin, it's time for the business portion of the podcast, which means... It's it's business time. It's time for the business music. Coming up on today's Patreon After Show, which you can get right now if you Which we haven't recorded yet. On Patreon, we're going to be talking about the arrest of the real villain of the Tiger King, Doc Antle. Oh, yeah. Finally in handcuffs. Plus, there's a brand new trailer for one of my favorite Netflix shows, The Crown, and it's got our producer, Henry Lavoie, shook... We're also going to be talking about a real-life manhunt in Laura Bricker's backyard and a brand-new addition to the Crime Writers On family. So that is all going to be happening on the Crime Writers On Patreon After Show podcast, which you can get right now if you join us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Kevin. Also, also this week, uh, we're having our live taping of Mary with Podcast. Yes. So if you're a a podcast, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can watch the podcast, you can take part, you can even get on the panel and ask some answer some questions. We've gotten some really good questions. Yeah. I cannot wait to answer. Be judgy like us. Yes, you can join us in being judgy. You can tell us if we got it right or if we are making people get divorced left and right. We're happy to know either way. So yes, we also have Toby's Book Club on our Patreon. We have Laura Bricker's podcast called Leave It to Bricker. A ton of content at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Kevin, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Christy Adderley and Robin Musgrove. Bless you. Bless you indeed. All right, so if you want a chance to become a Patreon patron saint and get all that extra content, once again, you can check us out at patreon.com slash partners Partners in crime crime media. Media. You sound like that guy in the logo. Partners in crime media. Wait, I'll do the British lady and you do the guy. Ready? Partners Partners in crime crime media. media. Bitch. <laughs> 
let's move on, shall we? Let's do it. Uh, do you want to say it, or shall I? No, no, no. You can go. Alex, we don't believe you. Netflix has taught international police procedural Criminal returns for a second season. In Criminal UK, Scotland Yard detectives conduct intense interviews with suspects while their colleagues watch from a high-tech room on the other side of a two-way mirror. The question is, are we allowed to let this continue? Of course we are. But we now have reason to believe she may be the killer. Yes, but Vanessa doesn't know that, so until she comes out, we're fine. The theme for this season seems to be misuse of the law. From investigators skirting a suspect's rights, a convict leveraging information, a misguided vigilante, to an accusation made against a smarmy businessman played by Game of Thrones star Kit Harrington. We don't speak on the Saturday or the Sunday, and on the Monday afternoon when she's back in the office, neither of us mentions it. It's not until today, that's basically a week later, that your lot turn up and start with all this shit. And this shit's gonna ruin me. In addition to these four episodes, the criminal anthology features police from France, Spain, and Germany. Those episodes are in their native languages, but all are shot on the same set. It's not a show about gunplay, dragnets, or futuristic forensics. Criminal UK leans on its roots as a cat and mouse psychological thriller. Tells it. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to be giving away plot points for Criminal UK season two. So if you don't want to hear them, go to our estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Uh, Toby, you just foreshadowed perhaps a point you'd like to make about Criminal UK. Do you think think this show, which is very formulaic, I mean, it's a stylized show, it, it involves cops doing interrogations, which is a very specific look inside criminal justice. Does it work for you, Toby Ball? Not 100%. So I, I think for these things to work, the idea is that something in the back and forth between the interrogator and the suspect leads to the suspect divulging something that the interrogator doesn't know. Hmm. I think that's the way the best ones work. And it occurs to me that that basically doesn't happen at all in these. It seems like in all of them, what you're basically seeing is either them revealing information, like the, the interrogators revealing information that they know in such a way that their suspense but it's not suspense for them. Hmm. Like they've got the whole thing under control, so it's not really suspenseful. You've no idea what I've been through. Why, after Philip's arrest, did you buy a men's leather belt from M&S? Was it because your fingerprints were on the first belt? One used to strangle Max Peters. Or there's a couple where it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, and then something kind of comes out, and somebody in the control room like does a little Google search, and then comes up with a piece of information that then kind of solves it. But it's not the it, it doesn't have the the same kind of payoff that I think the best of these types of scenarios have, which is through this sort of back and forth, the suspect eventually is either tripped up or sort of backed into a corner or it lets down their guard or something. And that's when the interrogator figures out what the deal is. And I don't think that happened once in these four episodes. It doesn't happen to, it doesn't have to happen to in everyone. 
As a matter of fact, I think you can sort of play against type, but it should happen at least one or two. You don't think it happened in the first and the fourth one? Well, the first one, the the person who's doing the interrogation doesn't even understand that she's... That's right. That the person... It's like somebody else is like, whoa, right. what, what was that about? So it's that seems kind of different. And then the fourth... I, I watched them out of order. The fourth one is... Oh, is the... Uh, is that the businessman? Sandeep, yeah. Right. So he... Again, I think that was that was a thing where I guess maybe, but it's because they get another piece of information that they drop in right at the end. So mm. it's this idea that he has a house right by where this kid disappeared. You know, they drop that in at the end and and I put it in my notes that I think a more well thought through or or elegant plot would have dropped that that clue a little bit earlier in a way beyond he has a lot of properties. Right, right. I mean, that that was actually a way, too, to bring Hugo back into the frame, right? Because he was right. the cop who had sort of looked into it and he had his old notebook and notes with him. It felt like a device to sort of more bring him back into the frame than, than a trip up. I don't know, but I, I do agree with you, Toby. I think the first episode, the one in which the interrogator doesn't know she's actually interrogating the suspect, the interesting question there, and I agree with you that the, the traditional suspense wasn't there, was that they were subverting this suspect's rights because they knew that it was an interrogation, but they weren't putting her under caution because she didn't know that they knew what they knew. Like, that's supposed to be the conundrum. And my, the question I kept wondering was, is that enough to actually create suspense? What do you think, Kevin? Well, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was um, an interesting play on this, this format. I mean, it's formulaic, but it's their formula. Mm. And... That it's it's just going to be yeah the the back and forth between the interrogator and the the accused right the suspect or in this case a witness and I think if it was a Perry Mason moment and I'm talking about like 1950s Perry Mason and not HBO Perry Mason if it was a Perry Mason moment every time then it would be predictable right mm. that you can eventually get me to come around and just say. If, if it's going to be four murderers. But Perry Mace was on TV for a long time, and people loved it. And yeah. there was a show called The Closer, right. which we but watched. I was feel the same like, thing. Well, right. But I feel like, you know, we didn't get that in mm. this. It wasn't four murderers who confessed to four murders, right? It was, we start off with one where she's a witness, and they believe she's a witness, and then she says something that nobody realizes that incriminated her. And then it all becomes about, like, well, how, how much of her rights can we fuck with? Yeah. We'll have to come back and talk specifically about episode two with Kit Harrington. Oh, yeah. But, you know, then again, that's that's a rape case. And in the end, uh, they don't charge him. And then we've got uh, this vigilante thing, which I thought was really good. That was also, I thought, a really good episode. Um, so it isn't about anything that she actively did. She didn't realize she was hiding anything other than the, the her identity as being the sole person behind the website. So, look, I'm just saying they she broke it up. She was chasing the wrong guy. She was chasing the wrong guy. Yeah. Right. But she didn't kill a guy and then is hiding it and trying to not break. Right. 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 So I think they played four different versions of that. But theme. quick question, though. Do you think this team of detectives would be interviewing four suspects in such different crimes? That was my question. Like that 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 kind of pushed, you know, they weren't well, I murder mean, cops. I mean, are, are they murder cops? These would be the murder cops doing murders. And, you know, we have no idea who they are. Exactly. We have no backstory. We have no interaction. 
They're like droid detectives. I mean, I don't know. They like tea and biscuits, <laughs> Laura, which was unusual. Talk about your impressions, just sort of the, the aesthetic and that kind of like lack of context. That is the point. There's no context, right? At all. Yeah. So I don't know why. Season one, I was like, oh, this is cool. Now I'm like, this is so freaking boring. I can't even stand to watch it anymore. We can't do that. Well, it's that or... She goes down for a couple of months and the whole thing goes on without her. And then if that's all it is, that's all it is. We'll have to leave it at that. She needs to understand what can happen if you carry on like this. What can happen, but hasn't actually happened. So we've got all the detectives who have no personalities. Like in real life, do you ever see detectives interviewing suspects where they're following the rules and they're asking their questions in a gentle yet persuasive manner and the people on the other side are intelligently watching and and really paying attention while eating their chips or whatever the hell they're doing back there but i just i just felt like it came across as a little bit too sleek and too polished and too perfect this time it just didn't feel authentic to me as i was watching it like i understand what they're trying to do but none of the detectives felt like real people to me. They felt like, well, here's a version of a person that might be a detective and we're going to put them in there and we know nothing about them or their personality. And maybe that's the point. But it was just for me, I was like, this is so boring this time. <laughs> I can't even stand it. Toby, doesn't this whole thing really hang on the performances of the suspects? I mean, because they, they bring in these really great actors who we know from lots of other stuff in to play these suspects. And it really does hang very much on that. Because as Laura, Laura pointed out, like these cops, they have these little interstitial scenes where we know that Tony is like in love with Natalie because we learned that last season in another 30 second scene that we were supposed to remember somehow uh, and like that's pretty much all we know. There's and not a lot here that you have to remember. And we know that that other detective the one who came back, what's his face? Hugo. Hugo was drinking on the job. I mean we remember that from a 30 second scene that was in the previous um, season but it really hinges. It hinges on just on the suspects right and who's playing them. Yeah and they're asked to do a hell of a lot. So I, I do. I think another sort of problem with the show is that sometimes you end up watching really, really good actors being given too much to do mm. and and not really pulling it off. You know, you're supposed to be watching like their their nonverbal cues, right? So, I mean, there are times when I was watching, I'm like, my God, this actor is like remembering what to say, saying it, you know, in the way they should be saying it. Well, at the same time, they're like trying to remember to like drum their fingers or, <laughs> you know, play with their shawl or, or, you know, every once in a while, look towards the ceiling or something. I mean, it just seems like, so I, I kind of almost felt like I was watching these people like try and keep all these things in mind and do them. And some did better than others. And I, you know, I didn't know who that Kid Harrington guy was. What? But what? What? Jon Snow, King of the North? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's who Fireman Ken's voting for for president this year. <laughs> you know nothing, Jon Snow? <laughs> so I thought, I thought he was, I thought he was really good. Like, uh, I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's <laughs> doing a great job with this role. And then Doctor Who was pretty good in mm. her job. Yeah. And then the other two, I wasn't sure who they were either. Yeah. Um, of course not. But oh, Sandy. But they—that's Kunal Mayer, Mayer from the Big Bang Theory. This is not improving your chances of me answering your questions. You're raking over old ground, and for no good reason. Well, hang this on. This has nothing to do with me. 
Let us be the judge of that. Guess who the richest person is on that on that cast? Him. Him. He's worth forty five million dollars. Really? He's the third highest paid comedy actor on television. That's amazing. That's at the time insanity. Yeah, John, I'm sorry. Kit Harrington has way only more fourteen money. million dollars. I no looked it up way. anticipating but, this but, conversation. But Kit, but Kit Harrington's married to royalty. His, his, worth, his, his wife, net worth is fourteen. But million. his wife—that's nothing to sneeze at. Yes, but the, the, the you don't you don't know think John Snow. So you're Snow surprised. Girl you're is, surprised. Is Kit Harrington? She's, she's royalty. You cannot win this argument. That's true. That's true. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. But it's just, it says a lot about the show that we're talking about how rich the actors are. Instead of the show. <laughs> Meantime, the guy that played Tony had to take an Uber home. I know. I know. And I it's, I found myself saying like. And I, you know, I'm reticent to say this because it like ventures into body shaming territory. I don't mean it that way. But I was so distracted by how thin the actress playing Natalie, Natalie was. I was too. But I was like, I shouldn't even be thinking about this. But the fact that I'm You mean the three about- cops who are eating the biscuits are the wrong three? <laughs> they should give her one? Don't body shame. I'm not body shaming. But yes. Who doesn't love a digestive? <laughs> well, they dressed her. The way they dressed her made it even more. And, and the hairstyle, it was like so severe and straight. It just yeah. all was part Let, of it. Let's talk about the Kit Harrington episode. Great performance. Very troubling conclusion. Laura Bricker, do you, like me, have an issue with a storyline that basically ends with a fake rape allegation? Yeah, I mean, that wasn't where I thought this was going, quite honestly, because up until now, that hasn't really been the format of this show. So I was like, wait, what? He was actually justifiably outraged the whole time because he actually wasn't guilty? What? Um, Yeah, that was not where I saw that going. But, you know, it happens. So I think it's, it, you it? know, I, it, it does. <laughs> Not often, Lara. Not often. Rebecca, I have been involved in cases back when I used to do defense work where it has happened. Um, so, <laughs> but it shouldn't be part of the narrative that it has. It shouldn't it's, be. It's a TV show. I know. You know me, though. I get very upset when I, when I do fake rape allegations on SVU, too. We have a whole podcast right. about SVU. Anyway, go ahead, Laura. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, I just it wasn't I I didn't see that coming because I was thinking like, oh, man, he's being so outraged. I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait till they just get this guy. And then Mm. at the end, they're like, oh, wait, it's just like this other thing that happened before when they did this at the bodega or wherever it was. But I also didn't like with the show, like all of a sudden the show would just end and you'd be like, so what? Wait, what happened at the end of this episode? Like some of the episodes are like, um, okay, now they finally left the dark place where they live all the time. Where, by the way, it's always dark. Like it is never n- like daylight when they're in this place. Are they what? What are they like? Vampires? Um, it's London. <laughs> But sometimes it just, it's Madrid. Kevin, you're you're fascinated by the set of this show. I am. Yeah. Well, I think I think whatever you think about like the other stuff, I think it's a really interesting concept to do a TV a cop procedural in four different languages with four different casts and four different storylines, but on the same set using all the same uh, accoutrements. By the way, I think that's like what a retired podcaster could like really level up Hmm. is to be on that, you know, in that like, oh, I'll record all this while I sit on the other side of the window and also try to solve a crime. (laughs) 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 But okay, back to episode two. Yes, it's controversial, but I think it's really about the last five minutes. About them not making reparations for the accusation? Yeah. Yeah. Any of the stuff they've broken, it had all been replaced. Some of it was better than before. So my question to you is why? Why did they put the furniture back? Because she'd been inconvenienced. I've been inconvenienced. She had committed no crime. Neither have I. She was completely innocent. 
So am I. No. You were arrested for something. And we decided not to press charges. Because I think that's that's the point. Look, we'll talk about it in a fictional sense here. You can't do that with a murder because a murder did happen. It just, you got the wrong guy, maybe you didn't. It had to be a case where it's like, oh no, there isn't actually a crime. And then let's discuss this. Is it about, well, it was his mom, they put stuff back together. What can you do for me hmm. if I'm wrongly accused? Hmm. Because we talk about this all the fucking time in real life. Hmm. What is there for the wrongfully accused? And maybe this is an imperfect vehicle for that discussion, but I think it's trying to take this into, again, let's just not have a bunch of murderers trip over themselves and we'll call it another episode. Hmm. Well, does anyone have any final thoughts on Criminal UK before we do what we do? The floor is open. Anyone have anything they'd like to say? Uh, Toby. I, I kind of like the fact that we didn't get much on their on the cops' lives and backstories. I, I find that's usually where I'm just like tune out a little bit yeah but they but they did they just gave you a little piece like to titillate like tony loves natalie right. she asked him to go for a drink yay <laughs> but what why was that one guy so the there, there was that one guy who in the first season everybody was suspicious of mm. right and now this time he just seems like he's completely sort of absorbed into the group and it's water on the bridge too. <laughs> they live and let live there this way they roll in London. Listen, they all drink tea from the same stupid vending machine, you know? Oh. They put money into a thing to get hot water? <laughs> Come on, man. It's fucking 2020. All right. Well, let's do what we do. I wonder how this is going to turn out. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out the second season of Criminal UK on Netflix? Laura Brick, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down for season two of Criminal UK. So this is just a personal preference thing. I just could not get into this season. I just found it so slow and like so drawn out and I was just boring. I, I just, I mean, it's it's interesting. The concept is interesting. I like how they're doing this in each country. And I like, obviously, Jon Snow, King of the North. But I just, I had to, like, actually go back and watch this with, like, earbuds on because it was just so boring. So... I'm sorry. Thumbs down. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Criminal UK Season 2? Yeah, I'm not like a huge thumbs down, but I I, I am a thumbs down. You know, again, I, I feel like even though you don't you, you don't want them all to be the same or whatever, but I, I don't know if people saw Prime Suspect when that came out. Like, yes, I did. I saw it and I read all the books. I'm completely obsessed with the great Helen Mirren. This isn't your time, Rip. It's Toby's time. <laughs> so her, the interrogation scenes in that show, I think were what this should aspire to mm. because they were just as intense without it coming off as being contrived. She would make headway in the case, hmm. you know, and, and she would find things out. And I just kind of felt like in this one, Either they weren't finding things out and they, they already knew things or the stuff that they found out kind of dropped into their laps at the very end and, and often not as a, not really getting something out of the suspect, but the suspect says something and then somebody in another room gets on the internet and, and figures something out, which isn't in my mind like a real satisfying sort of narrative arc. But, you know, there's some, there's some really good acting in it. There, there's some interesting issues that come up. But I just sort of feel like the writing should have been better. So uh, a minor thumbs down. Kevin Flint. 
I'm going thumbs up. Uh, not a big thumbs up. I don't think this is like the greatest police procedural ever done, but I find it interesting still. You know, these four episodes I thought went in different directions. Not terribly different, but at least they were variations on a the theme. It is supposed to be, you know, a claustrophobic, very uh, stripped down, we're just going to do this interview. Uh, but yeah, with all these, you know, electronic accoutrements on the other side of a two-way looking glass. So I still kind of like it. I, I do think it all always depends on the acting and whoever they bring in. It's like if you take a look at who the suspect is, some of them are like, meh. But I think these four, they got like four good guest actors. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually interested really in maybe taking a peek at some of the other languages uh, and get to see a little bit about those characters. But I would watch it again. Hmm. Thumbs up. I am thumb sideways. Meh. That's kind of how I feel about this. Has a lot of potential. I watched it with you, and I didn't want to not watch the next one. But I'm also not, like, super psyched to watch German season two or anything like that. So, yeah, I'm not going to add anything to what you said. I agree with all of you a little bit here and there. So I'm just a strong thumb sideways. Meh. Weak tea. It's vending machine tea for me. (laughs) Criminal UK season two. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. week. Yay, science. Yay, science. A Memphis, Tennessee 12-year-old has successfully achieved nuclear fusion in his basement. Young Jackson Jackson Oswalt used open source technology to build a device which fused two deuterium atoms. Yes, I did look up how to pronounce that. He says his family and friends didn't understand what his new hobby was all about and probably should have asked whether the house would be consumed in a mushroom cloud. Although not an easy task, deuterium fusion creates a low level of heat and energy. A nuclear physicist verified fusion had been achieved and the 2021 Guinness Book of World Records says Jackson is the youngest person to do it. 
It's quite a feat for the preteen, considering we can't even get our kids to clean their stupid rooms. It's true. So, panel, here's my question for you. Jackson is going to totally ace his science fair. But what about you? What was your greatest science fair achievement? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, I, I never had a greatest science fair achievement. I, I was so bad at it. The closest thing was like a science fair fail in college when I experimented with feeding our houseplants beer. <laughs> <laughs> what happened Don't to the plants? It. <laughs> it smelled so disgusting. One day we like, we're like, why is our plant dying? And I'm like, probably because we've been feeding it beer. And then I like went to pick it up and like move it outside. And I'm like, Oh my God. And that was the end of that. So. You overwatered it. Uh, yeah. Just needs exactly. a little bit of hops and barley. <laughs> Toby yeah. Ball, what is your greatest science fair achievement? I, I brought a dead gerbil back to life with a uh, car <laughs> really? battery and some jumper cables. Oh, no, yeah. you didn't. I got a B. He's lying. Um, no, we didn't. <laughs> I, got a, I got a B. <laughs> I don't recall having a science fair at any time in my, my youth. We did have uh, a plant that we fed beer. And mm. its leaves fell off w- one by one <laughs> until it was just, it was like a, it was like a, some kind of like miniature tree that had these big like tropical leaves on it. That's what mine was. And they just, they just kind of fell off one by one until at the end it was just this like stock. Hmm. Just, uh, yeah, which was, it's not a good look for a plant. So, Kevin Flynn, your greatest science fair achievement. Well, you know, your greatest science fair achievement is actually supposed to be your kid's assignment that you have to do. Yes. And there was one year in junior high school where Lily had to make like a Rube Goldberg contraption and she wanted it to uh, hit a button on her iPhone so it would play a song by One Direction. <laughs> and it was it was oh it was so bad. I it was cobbling together like bits of toys and marbles and it uh it never worked. And then like I went to the science fair and like some father like made a rocket that like hit the ceiling and I'm just like <laughs> oh, give me a break. So uh, I didn't get a good grade. <laughs> my fave my best science fair achievement was lying that I had my period to avoid going to the science fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Science. All right, we should probably end it on that note, but before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> Uh, well, we do, but I'll give you a quick little teaser. We do have a cat of the week because I got a new kitten last week who is yet unnamed. He looks like my friend Rocky Flintstone, the cat, but he's a kitten. But our actual cat of the week is going to be from Suzanne Cresswell, one of our Brichter Scale members who works at the Roanoke Valley SPCA, who posted a picture of the bucket of puppies that came in to the shelter that she works. A bucket full of adorable little puppies. And I feel like the world right now could use more buckets of puppies. So thank you, Suzanne. Are you listening, Edible Arrangements? Send someone a bucket of puppies. (laughs) Not edible puppies. I mean real puppies. My new kitten, who's like a gremlin, would also probably like a bucket of puppies because he's been attacking poor poor Buddy the dog is falling victim to the kitten. (laughs) Yeah, well, Buddy deserves it. He had it coming. Uh, All right, Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and submit their animals or buckets of animals to be Cat of the Week. How can they find you? At Laura Bricker. And Toy Ball, folks want to follow you on Twitter and see all of your various insights into things like crew crime and basketball. How can they find you on Twitter? 
at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to see what your hair is looking like these days, how can they find you on Twitter? You'll have to look for me at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You'll see lots of photos of dogs, by the way, if you follow me on Instagram. Or you can follow the show at Crime Writers On. You can watch this very podcast on our show, produced exclusively for Facebook Watch. Find all 10 episodes by searching your app or at facebook.com slash watch slash Crime Writers On podcast. I encourage you to join our friends in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We're there all the time. You can interact with us there. We have a regular old Facebook page, though, where we aren't all the time, but you can just find content about our show. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, and you will get the Crime Writers On after show, Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Our new theme song was performed and composed by Ty Gibbons. Hey, Ty, thanks. Our line editor is the very handsome Henry Lavoie, assisted by Olivia Burdett. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we sip tea, eat biscuits, and watch people talk themselves into confession. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. What was the promo code for Daily Harvest? Crime. For fuck's sake, Laura. <laughs> Honest to fucking God. I don't know. Take a guess. Take a wild fucking ass guess. <laughs> promo code. <laughs> Undisclosed. Undisclosed. <laughs> code body. Promo code up and vanished. <laughs> oh no, I better not vanish. <laughs> oh, all right. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.